As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So when I was 18, I got my first sales job. Well, really wasn't even a job at all. We were selling ice cream on the beach. fudgy wudgy bars, ice cold water. And this was totally under the radar, but we were making a ridiculous amount of money walking up and down the beach with these coolers packed with dry ice and fudgy wudgy bars, water, rainbow pops. And each morning we'd get up, it'd be like 6 a.m., we'd hit the ice cream vendor, same place where ice cream trucks would buy. And all summer, everyone who was going to sell that day would meet, we'd divide up the fields, there'd be the occasional fist fight over territory, but basically the senior dealers would, would take the larger fields and the younger guys like me would take what whatever was left over. 
And we'd go out on the beach. It would be absolutely packed. You're walking, you know, over people's and in between their blanket. But the whole time you're yelling. Ice pops. Get your ice pops. And people would wave you over. And and this is, you know, this is how you would attract your your fans. I wasn't allowed to wear a sign. So we just had to, to scream with these two coolers. And eventually people knew who we were. And uh, they would even help protect us when uh, when the authorities would come around on their on their scooters. But this is where I learned to sell. This is this is where I learned how to how to pitch, how to build up essentially what what is my pipeline. This is how I learned how to upsell. And and this is where I really first saw the value in the basic skills of sales because I I'm not an extrovert. I, I'm not the type that, you know, walks into a room and shakes hands with everybody. But when you're out there and you could potentially make a lot of money, um, you know, and you're in front of people, you get over the fear really quick. Uh, you get over the the embarrassment of of walking up and down with these two heavy coolers looking like like an idiot. And, and you just get into the mindset of getting it done, getting the deal done and getting as many people to buy your ice cream. That was the deal. It didn't matter what I looked like. It didn't matter how silly I felt. What mattered was could I empty my cooler that day and go home with a pocket full of cash. And today we're going to be talking all about the pipeline, how to fill the pipeline, what is your pipeline, and different ways to to get it done, to to get to the deal and to get in front of people without having to walk shirtless up and down the beach for, for hours at a time. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about building out your pipeline and how to move people through that funnel. But first, Michael, what is a pipeline? What is a sales pipeline? Yeah, the pipeline is the whole process. There's the top of the funnel, um, which is people who may be interested and are kind of circling around their business. There's, you know, moving down the pipeline. Uh, We often call this the middle of the funnel, which is people that you're probably having conversations with, you've been in touch with, but they're not converted into sales. Um, And then we have the bottom of the funnel, which is where you're converting people into paid customers. But now don't just take it from me. Here's how Mel Gordon of Tap Hunter describes it. Yeah. So a sales pipeline is your future deals to close, right? So hopefully you have a great CRM tool that allows you to say a suggested close date. What percent do you think the deal's at? Is it 50%, 70% close so that you can forecast into the future? what you're going to be closing for the month or the quarter. So what are the pieces of a pipeline? Like how, if I've never done this before and I was going to set up a pipeline for my company, where would I start? Absolutely. So number one, you can do this in a spreadsheet, but it's preferred you're using a CRM like salesforce.com or close.io or something like that. And a sales rep would have, say they have 10 deals that uh, they have in their pipeline that they've already presented price to. And they'd want to categorize that by stage. So have they already presented price? Are they waiting to get a verbal? Do they still need to get to a decision maker? Uh, The second piece would be the value of the deal, right? What, What price value or package is this deal coming in at? Another piece is what percent uh, chance do you think it has of closing 
50%, 75%, 90%, whatever else that is. And then the key piece is date, right? When's it going to close? This month, next month, next week? So those are all the defining pieces uh, that help you to create pipeline reports and forecasting. So you can really start to understand how much you need in your pipeline. And then the ultimate is knowing what your close ratio is. So if you know you have a 25% close ratio, but your goal is X, how much do you need in your pipeline in order to hit your goals? How much do you need to fill the top of the funnel to get out of the bottom what you know you can get out? Exactly. And we define pipeline by... Uh, deals that that are already qualified, right? This isn't leads. This is true pipeline where you've identified a decision maker, you've uncovered pain, you know you have a solution for them, and most likely you've already presented price to them. And this deal is on its way to being closed. And why do you exclude uh, leads from your pipeline? So true, true pipeline we look at is per the sales rep, per, per account executive. Anything else is probably a lead that still needs to be qualified, followed up on, or nurtured, or it's just a call list. And so we also wanted to know, what is the difference between a contact, a prospect, and a lead? And now if you've listened to the first episode, you may have heard this clip, but just bear with us. It's always good to hear it again. <laughs> it depends on what CRM system a lot of time you use. <laughs> um, a contact is someone with inside of an organization. You could have multiple contacts inside of an organization. And a prospect and a lead, you know, a lead is often just a name or a name on a call list and it's just a lead. And a prospect, oftentimes people will define as someone who's a little bit more qualified, right? You know, you know that you have something you can sell them or they fall within a certain customer segment of yours. So I think one of the biggest things I see people get tripped up on is spending too much time on the, just the names themselves rather than just keeping it simple. I think the biggest mistake you can make is having too many names and stages of all this stuff, right? Just simplify it. So I've seen lead and prospect interchange quite often, and a prospect could be a prospect, but you have several different stages within your sales cycle, right? So lead and prospect could be interchanged, but a prospect or a lead, whatever you want to call it, could be at the uh, presented price, the decision-making stage, the negotiation stage, the trialing stage, you know, things like that. So one of the first steps that we always have to take is we need to know who we're selling to. So usually we build up a prospect list, whether, you know, really this is inbound or outbound, we need to know who the target audiences and we need to know what they respond to. So I talked to Ryan O'Donnell, how they approach it over at Sellhack uh, when they're building up a, an initial prospect list. Before we hear from Ryan, let's just get a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Here's Ryan O'Donnell on building out a prospect list. We look for the least common denominator or, or, or the easiest thing. And it, not everyone has this luxury, but I, I'm going to break this up into two parts, right? Um, you're a brand new company. Um, you've never sold 
um, you have no customers, right? So where you would start is figuring out who are your potential buyers, right? And it's it's an exercise that I would I would say needs to be, um, you know, you need to form a hypothesis and then you need to experiment. So if you're selling, um, you know, some sort of accounting based software, then you might posit that um, the buyer of your software is going to be, you know, the the VP of finance or or, or the finance director at at a company, you know, companies from anywhere from 50 to 5,000 employees, for example. Um, and then you would go on and, and you know, to like a site like LinkedIn, for example, and you could run your advanced search and try to find people like that. Um, but if you already have customers, the, the, the best place to start when you're building out your, your prospect segments is by, is, you know, by researching um, your existing customers. Right. And literally like take 10 customers, take your, your most recent 10 customers and then go in and research them. Right. And figure out um, what are their common characteristics or or where do they you know, where are the differentiators. Right. And you can start to create segments based off of that. So you might have one segment of buyers who are, you know, like I said, VPs of finance at companies from, you know, 50 to, to 2000 employees, for example. And you might notice that your buyers at at company sizes, uh, you know, 10 to 50 employees, you might see that that the buyer is actually the CEO. So what you're doing in, in, in that exercise is you're figuring out, okay, of all the people who buy my solution, um, here are the different ways that here are the different ways that I can find them on the web using structured data. Interesting. And so if you know that, um, you know, even even knowing that, you know, you need to target the CEO when the pl- employees are the size, where do you find uh, those people in the future, the next the, the next batch that you're going to pursue? I mean, so it, so it, if I did that, it, if I took the example and said, okay, um, one of my one of my targets are it's a CEO company size 10 to 50 because I found the person's uh, profile on LinkedIn and all this data is readily available, right? So so Jill Smith signs up. She's the CEO of a 10-person company um, based in San Francisco um, in the, you know, internet or information technology industry. Like all of a sudden those, those you know, five bits of information, um, I can take those and plug those into an advanced search and all of a sudden I'll see that there's 1,600 other people just like Jill, Right that's where I start, right? And until I work my way through those 1600 people, that's segment number one. And I'm going to work, I'm going to, you know, there's 1600 prospects that are similar to someone else who's already bought my product or service. So you're getting ready to write your, your cold email, but how do you know what to write? How do you know what your value proposition is to this prospect list? Or even if you're doing inbound, how do you know your value proposition that you're going to put on your page as your headline to get people enticed? And so Heatonshaw had a really interesting way to test this uh, even early on. A lot of people that would benefit from doing um, advertising that they might not be thinking about right now for purposes beyond just acquiring the customer, but more understanding and assessing the demand for what they're doing and what they're going to do. And what he went on to describe was a method of coming up with different 
headlines or call to actions for an ad and simply measuring what people clicked on most. And what they clicked on was what intrigued them, which is what you should incorporate into your cold email, into your sales pitch, and into your landing pages. People typically are buying a product or service to solve a problem that they have. And the problem that you're solving needs to be visceral enough that they're willing to make a change in their behavior or actually invest money to solve that pain. Um, I mean, that's typically why. So at the end of the day, it's the salesperson's job to help them see and understand that. So now you've got your your basics. You know what your customer base is attracted to, what they're looking for. So let's break down that cold email. So the first thing you want to do, which may seem pretty obvious, but it's a common mistake that people often miss, and that is to just say who you are. Let them know who they're hearing from. Yeah, when you get an email blindly, you want to quickly be able to know who you're talking to. And if it's all the way down at the footer, you might not even get that far. Right. And so after you establish who you are and and what it is that you do, the most important part is to establish what is the benefit to the person reading the email. If you're talking about your features and what you do, it, it often gets lost in, in context and probably boredom. But if you can quickly establish why you are a good solution or what benefit to their life that you can provide, you have a much better chance of them getting to the next sentence. And this is why you need to have a good understanding of who you're reaching out to and understand where they may have some weaknesses so that you're able to speak to those clearly. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have to look at sentence by sentence. How do we get them to keep reading? And and so if we're talking about how we're making their lives better, it's way more powerful than saying you can um, you have these number of features for them because that doesn't often translate into an actual tangible benefit. Right. And once you've made that clear, why, what the benefit for them is to keep reading, it's great to have some social proof in there of other similar companies that you've worked with or that may recommend you so they have some faith in and who you are. Yeah, this is your time to kind of name drop a little bit. If you have a couple companies that you're talking to that are current customers, it's great just to drop a couple names so that they can say, oh, these guys work with so-and-so, maybe I should consider it too. And finally, you want to end it with a very specific and simple action like... If this is of interest to you, let's chat on this day at this time. Here's a link to book on my calendar or here's my phone number. Something that makes it dead simple for them to take that action. Yeah, this this often feels... Um the most awkward the first time when doing it uh, because you're kind of almost giving orders but this this makes it so much easier for them to know how to engage with you if we if we wait for a response we may never get it but if we say i want to meet for 15 minutes on thursday is a much higher chance that they'll just say yes and that's about it these these emails should be very short and sweet and Just another thing to keep in mind, put yourself in the shoes of someone reading it and you can smell a pitch a mile away. One of the things that that I like to do when I'm writing a cold email is I pretend I'm writing it to Matt and Joelle. And if, if I'm not embarrassed to write it to a friend, 
then I'm not embarrassed to send it to someone that I don't know. And if I come off as when I'm writing it to someone that I know, I I eliminate a lot of the pitchy and the buzzwords um, that often come up when you're trying to to literally sell someone something. Great advice. And a couple months back, you'll remember we talked to Steli and this is what he had to say about cold emails. He had some really great advice. So I'm a big believer. So I'm a big believer of two formats in email, either very short or very long. Okay. Right? Uh, so, you know, the long sales copy, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of material out there and information out there about why long sales copy can really work well. Um, but it, for the initial conversations, for the first kind of emails, I would keep things as short as possible because short means you respect my time and yours. The easiest and sh- fastest way for you to be ignored by me and for you to not have me read your email is to send me a first email that's very long. Mm-hmm. I think that the other thing that people forget uh, is that every, to me at least, philosophically, the way I think about this is that every sentence in an email is a pitch, is, tr- is it needs to sell me on the value of keep reading the next sentence. Like when I read an email, every sentence that you write needs to pitch me and sell me effectively on, I should keep reading this, right? So a lot of times people bury the best part at the end of the email. It's a bad idea, right? Give it to me early. Don't bury the lead. Tell if you, you just work with my biggest competitor and had amazing success. or if you had something that just such strong social proof that I will give you my time, don't put it at the end of the email, put it at the beginning, right? To make this even even easier, you know, the cold email is is tough. Um, it's essential. Um, it's an essential tool to have, but it's even better when it's warm. When there when there's some commonality already established. Now that might be an introduction. If you have investors, um, one of the best things that I've seen is actually instead of just asking for the intro, it's doing the research to know who you want to be introduced to. So if you go on LinkedIn you can see who that person is connected to. So if I wanted to, Joelle, um, you know, she knows a lot of people in the industry. If I wanted to ask her for an intro, I could say, hey, Joelle, do you know any designers in the industry that you could introduce me to? And she's probably knows a ton, but she probably doesn't have any offhand um, that she would instantly want to introduce me to. But if I said, hey, Joelle, can you introduce me to these specific designers? I'm going to have a much higher success rate of her actually doing it. And how I would approach it is what's called a clean copy email, which looks something like, hey, Joelle, I see that you're connected to Greg. It would be really great to get in touch with Greg because we're working on this initiative and he'd be a, a, a good contact for it. Would you mind introducing me to Greg? Now, all Joelle has to do at this point is forward it to Greg. She doesn't have to write an introduction email. She doesn't have to introduce both of us in a in a kind way. She just forwards my email. If Greg responds, yep, love to talk, then she'll just CC me in that thread and I can pick it up from there. So cold emailing and warm e- emailing will only take you so far. At a certain point, you're going to tap out on your network and that's where inbound comes in. And this is where you can generate a whole lot more warm contacts than 
you could just by asking for intros here and there. Yeah, this could be um, content. It could be tools. Um, anything that your marketing team can do to really draw uh, potential customers in. I think I think it's actually very difficult to create content that actually converts. Here's Heat and Shaw again. And so what I, what we tend to do is create content that people love and use that to get their email address um, so we can give them more content they'll love and in the process of that um, set up some systems so that we can actually get them to um, buy into the promise of a product of ours and then use that to sort of uh, upsell them into signing up for the product uh, or something like that. So I guess for me, um, these are just ways to get people into your funnel sooner than before they're ready to kind of sign up for a trial or something like that. And, and there's a lot of ways to do that. I mean, with, with Kissmetrics, actually the original thing that helped grow the business was a, a Twitter account, not the blog. And the Twitter account led to the blog. And, and so to me, I'm always looking for an opportunity that other people are, have not discovered right now around how to, how to get the attention of potential customers. And believe it or not, for Kissmetrics, it was actually Twitter first, not, not the blog. And, and the Twitter account and the traffic we were able to gain and the attention is what led to kind of the blog. So now you've got people in your pipeline and now it's time to pitch. So next week we'll be discussing the art of the pitch and we'll be getting some incredible advice from people who do it every single day. So that'll be next Wednesday. Don't forget on Sunday we have Joel Holland, a fantastic interview with him about the sales strategy that he used to bootstrap his business. To make sure you you don't miss it, please subscribe. And if you can share it, share it with the world, consider it your way of supporting the show. Huge thanks today to our sponsor, Pipe Drive. Go to pipe drive forward slash rocket ship to get two months free. I know there's a lot of you out there who have never reviewed the show. If you've been a longtime listener, even a new listener, just leave us a quick review in iTunes. It helps out so much. And if you haven't yet, follow us on Twitter at rocket ship FM. You could follow me at Michael Saka and Joel at Joel Goldman. We'll see you here in just a couple days. Hey, I want to know on that one. Please subscribe. Bye-bye.